0: I might yeah I think as kind of with anything it's kind of learning kind of what is working and um they actually have had loads of people watch them but it's so funny the kids who they comment on underneath some of them are like I've been directed here by my teacher (laughs) and then some people are actual scientists who have like picked apart the whole video as well
1: hello there my name is Kit Rackley my pronouns are they them and this is Coffee and Geography The aim of the show is to get to know, explore, and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home, and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers, and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy, and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogHot off we go. Hi everybody and welcome back to Coffee and Geography. I'm going to introduce my guest, how she likes to start her YouTube videos. Hey, it's Ellie. Hi Ellie, how are you?
0: hey (laughs) i'm Gith. thank you yeah hey it's ellie
1: yay so ellie hopkins is a teacher author who loves geography Uh, she started a youtube channel in 2019 called the curious geographer and where she holds live interviews with academics journalists and professionals involved in all things geography now ellie you have done me a huge favor really right because i was pondering in doing something similar for jog ramblings like interviews and stuff and then i came across your videos and i tell you what I'm very happy for you to be the torchbearer with that kind of interaction. So, because you're doing such a good job. So, yeah, well done. Um, Have you been having fun with those?
0: Yeah, that, well, first of all, that's really kind of you to say that I'm like the torchbearer of that. Um, Yeah, they have been, they've been great. It kind of happens by chance. Um, I started the YouTube channel from like a few conversations with my sit formers because we used to watch like Vox and Vice. And I was like, how about we do like a geography channel and then it was like a few small videos and then actually I had a few people who were meant to come to our school to do, um, we were meant to watch 2040 um, and have like a panel discussion afterwards and with COVID it got cancelled. So I actually had a few speakers lined up and I was like, how about I've got this YouTube channel, how about you come on and we can talk about your interest in geography. And then it just grew to now being kind of once, what well, was kind of once a week, once every other week, um, and it's been amazing, really.
1: Uh, we'll, we'll definitely come back to talk talk about your videos later because they have been such a boon, as you've just said, over the past year and a bit because of the the pandemic. So we definitely will we'll chat a little bit more about it later. So we are uh, we are here on coffee and geography. So it's interesting that you're on the other side of the interviewing table, so to speak. <laughs> and um, one of the things that we're going to be doing, of course, is to uh, give examples of interconnectivity around the world. By looking at what we drink, um, and hopefully our students can have a look at the map that we're, we're generating to see if they can critically appraise, you know, claims to sustainability and ethical practices. So, what brew do you have in front of you this morning?
0: <laughs> I actually have a um, like an iced coffee in front of me from. Are like get coffee beans from a really nice roastery. Roastery is that right in Packham called Old Spike? Um, so yeah, I don't drink too much coffee because I feel like it gives me a headache if I drink loads. But, um, a nice coffee a day, and it is beautiful hot weather outside, so yeah, brewed an ice. Ice coffee. That's what I've got at
1: the moment. Yes, yeah, so I forgot to give the timestamp. So we're recording this on the thirteenth of June, twenty twenty-one, and it's going to—I think it's going to be the hottest day of the year so far, perhaps. So yeah, it's going to be in the high twenties. I think it was like twenty-eight degrees. So an iced coffee sounds like it's just the ticket. But I don't know. I can't seem to get over my tea. So uh, I don't know. I've heard this though that, that apparently drinking hot drinks on hot days is better because you sweat and cool down whereas drinking cold drinks warms you up I mean that, I don't know whether that's an urban myth have you heard no, that?
0: I I used to hear that and my mum would say that the whole time but she would drink tea like the whole time <laughs> like, she'd be like I don't need to drink water I'll just drink tea so and she's like it's good when it's hot or cold
1: <laughs> yeah I don't know perhaps please, listeners you know tweet out tell us if it's just an urban myth or whether it's actually such a thing right <laughs> so you mentioned Peckham so you get it from a, a local coffee shop and whatnot now, Peckham is uh, is an area of southeast London. Now, for those who in British popular culture probably will recognize the word Peckham from uh, a very famous 80s comedy show, Only Fools and Horses. Um, I don't have the rights to play the theme tune, unfortunately. Um, so let's dispel some myths. I mean, people might have only have heard of Peckham because of saying watching things like Only Fools and Horses back in, back in the days. Describe Peckham to us from your point of view and also is is peckham where you've been for a long time or you've moved there recently and how does it kind of form your identity
0: yeah so it's quite funny they do have the only fools and horses like three you know the three-wheel dow like
1: um, yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um literally like on the corner as you turn into the road now i'm at um but i feel like peckham just has that like South East london feel and like my um speaks to my brother sometimes because he used to be living in South London and he moved north and there's definitely like a, oh, north of the river is better or like south of the river is better. And I just feel that like south, particularly southeast, um, I know you're, aren't you originally from like East London?
1: Well, my dad is, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's just like so much, it's so calm and it's like really green as well. There's just like lots of, there's there's like Peckham, there's Lewisham, there's like broccoli all around me. I like, teach in a school nearby um and I feel like actually having living near where you teach you just really feel like rooted to that like community um I think I've lived here for like four four years but I think it's where like, my partner and I really have kind of set down our roots um together his mom was actually born in Camberwell which is next to Peckham mm. um and so his grandma used to like live around here what like 60 years ago which is great I mean Peckham's changed in 10 years like, it's changed crazy amounts in like Sixty years, you're kind of seeing images before. I don't feel like South East London maybe has the best rep sometimes, um, but I feel like people are very like connected to here. Things like it doesn't have a tube line, so people think it's like not very connected, but actually that is like the nicest thing because I think one of the worst things about London is when you go underground and it's just like super hot. Whereas now you have like all the trains overground. um It's so green. There's like this amazing green chain. Um, path that goes from like here to um crystal palace to like Beckenham, where you can basically go or like i run it normally um and you're all off road and it's just like amazing and you've got the best views i I love being in Peckham or at school because i'm on like teacher the hill and looking over to london and the city and it's just kind of like you kind of feel that like oh like connection to london but then also the i'm not in a really hot office environment or it's not super busy um and there's just, like, really, like, yeah, I think the people around here are really friendly. Um, interesting with COVID is that it has actually, I feel, really brought the community close together. Like, we have a WhatsApp group with, like, the roads around us and people who maybe weren't speaking before as much. Obviously, yeah, you know your neighbors, but that kind of, like, broader community Um Everybody's like, if someone's run out of something, or someone like yesterday was like, oh, I ordered too much milk. Does anybody want to spare one? <laughs> kind of thing, like, pop by here. Or I saw someone like changing like school uniforms. Like, they'd obviously run out. So, um, yeah, it's a really like lovely place to, it's a really nice place to live.
1: I was actually quite nervous um, about like having quite a lot of guests from London to- today. I mean, a higher proportion of my guests so far. But I've actually quickly come to peace with that for the very reasons that you've been saying that. Well, no, London's a conurbation. It's it's absorbed through urban sprawl. So many different, you know, Peckham itself used to be um, a linear village, you know, so along along the main route, which has, of course, now been enveloped through the growth growth of London. And so, when I've talked to previous guests who are in different parts of London, they always talk about it in in various different ways. So there is such diversity within the city itself. So I've I've made my piece. I want to go global and I want to go another place. And my next guest actually is from New, De- is uh, living in New Delhi in India. Um, but that's really, really lovely what you say. And um, yeah, the, the overgrounds, was it 20 years, 2015, 20, 20 years that was built, I think?
0: Yeah, but then actually how, when it was like really connected was actually only, I think like seven or 10 years ago, which is when there's been like, lots more people living here and like gentrification and just like I think house prices have I met we have a puppy so we speak to so many people in the park (laughs) um but I think he was saying that he got a house here like 10-15 years ago and it's it's like doubled like yeah yeah, property's gone crazy because it's so much more popular to live here.
1: I can imagine, yeah. And that's that's the paradox of, of, of connectivity, of of, uh, of integrated transport, is that you get people move in, there's a demand and a need for this infrastructure to be put in place. And then, of course, what happens is that it then starts overheating the market with people. More people want to move in, the prices go up, and then more infrastructure, yeah. And it's just where where do, where do you stop? And, and of course, for you as a Job teacher, me as an ex geography teacher, you used to love having those debates with students with regards to, well, how do we close the loop? How do we turn this into a... A circular, sustainable way of developing infrastructure, maintaining the character and the and the history of a place, but still having the services and the infrastructure that we need. So up here in Norfolk, when I when I was teaching a, a school just outside of Norwich, it's a perfect place if you're a commuter who works in Norwich because it's only like five miles outside of Norwich. The village itself only had eight hundred dwellings, but because Of the duelling of the A11 and a lot more businesses moving into Norwich, all of a sudden there was an explosion of demand for housing in the area. And all of a sudden, another 800 and something dwellings have just gone up over in the past like 10 years. So effectively, the number of dwellings has doubled. doubled. And that's a huge amount of pressure. And there was already pressures on the infrastructure in the area.
0: I think what's quite nice is um, actually teaching about changing places with A-level and getting them to, we, we more do kind of Lewisham I and mean like broccoli area. But at the very beginning, we get them to interview a an elderly person that they know. It might be like a grandparent who might have lived in the area for a really long time. And I just love that lesson where they're like feeding back on like really like how has the place changed i always learn so much because they're like yeah my granny's been here for this many years or this is why they came over and um i think yeah it's great for students to yeah just have a bit more of that kind of place connection and understanding how it's changed
1: yeah and we don't want to forget that as geographers do we i mean we're so we're so good and keen to do the whole interspatial kind of connections and things like that but i think we don't want to forget the intergenerational connections either um so that's really really lovely that that you um mentioned about the getting them involved and, connect, and maybe they don't speak to their grandparents very often maybe they do but it's another way of reconnecting themselves to their to their location so i like that that's quite nice so let's move back to your youtube channel now at least so you said here, and I quote, that you love meeting and chatting with people from around the world. The world is so beautifully complex, and I love that geographers explore different perspectives, just much like we've um, <laughs> we've just been talking about. Um, and you're approaching three thousand subscribers on your YouTube channel, so congratulations! You, I don't think it's gonna be too long before you hit that milestone. Oh, this this might be a very tough question for you because uh, I know I know when you're the host, you don't want to pick favorites, but do you? Yeah, you know this is coming. But do you have a favorite video or interview, or one that you look back at fondly and thought maybe it could be because you got so much out of it as much as we thought the kids might have done? But is there is there one in particular that's special to you?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I feel I'm so grateful for all the guests um, who have come on, and it has very much just been a bit of a kind of cold call. Like they've kind of responded. From like not really knowing me, um, and being so great at like building building the channel, I think that's obviously what makes it is having everybody on. I mean, always, there's like, been the big names um, like there was like Tim Marshall, which obviously people might say like that's that could be like a favorite, but I, I was so nervous with those ones that I actually <laughs> felt like you just don't enjoy it as much if you're just. And I think people who know me like knew that at the beginning that I my voice was just like not as like clear. Um, I think. I mean, I, I learn something new every single time. Um, one person who's been particularly great was one of my, uh, I mean, I was really grateful for yeah for anyone who's starting it, but Dr. Kimberly Thomas uh, from Philadelphia. At the very beginning, she talked about water conflicts in Southeast Asia and right. since has also introduced me to two guests, um, one in the US, one in India um, as well. And I think that having that, person who's also like yeah maybe like these people can go on your um channel as well and kind of like helping to spread the word um has been great so it's kind of we talked about a bit of like how the podcast is here that kind of snowballing effect um and how it kind of grows without you kind of realizing which is pretty amazing but I think anytime I can like sit back and actually the text working (laughs) and you just kind of there's a lot going on when you're doing it live as well. You've got to check like the streaming's right. The questions are there. And I always say to my guests, I'm like, please don't worry if I'm looking all over the screen because I'm not kind of being visual at that time. Um, And bless them, they can only see me. They don't actually see what comes out of it. Um, But the times when I can actually just like sit back and really enjoy the conversation and like pick apart what they've said and you have like um, students who are interacting as well. So um, yeah, I think the South, um, southeast asia like the tensions when she talked along the mekong was just like so fascinating and like the lao wanting to be with the hep kind of electrical like hub for southeast asia because i always normally talk to talk about um teach about the nile and like the ethiopia grand renaissance stamp so i think that was just such an interesting like, and what i think students would find really useful as well but yeah. i don't know that's I wouldn't say that yeah not quite a a favorite but definitely high up there i'm very grateful for the support in introducing me to other people as well
1: We, we all worry don't we about as geography practitioners and educators we all worry about trying to keep on top of things trying to make sure that we're teaching our students the right but not only that because of the current climate the necessary changes that are taking place regarding you know people's voices decolonizing and stuff like that we have to we, you know, speaking to people is probably some of the best CPD we can give ourselves. So, you've just mentioned all these things that you've learned about Southeast Asia and, and the Mekong, um, you know, drainage basin and everything from that one person. And then, when Kimberly says something along the lines of, I will put you in touch with this person who can tell you more from this side of it, I will put you in touch. That's just incredible. It's amazing. And that's what I'm finding here with this podcast as well. And the other thing I would t- I would, um, mentioned to people as well and maybe ellie you can give your two pence on this as well is don't be afraid to reach out because i've I've, trust me everybody i'm trying my very very best just to build up the courage to ask people to come on the podcast right just the courage and then i'm like am i impinging on their time are they going to think i'm just chasing them for a token gesture or something you know i have all these fears in my head but if you don't ask you don't get and nine times out of ten people have got back to me and said I would love to I'd love to because it's getting their work out there they think their work is appreciated when you were talking to Kimberly, they might be inspiring the next person who looks at these kind of issues and then can take her research further going forward with a new perspective youthful kind of frame of mind
0: yeah I definitely feel like sometimes it has been that I've just like emailed them like directly out of you sometimes with Dr. Elan Kalman I think it was just like a Twitter thing and I was like would you like I was on a comment or something and it was like, would you like to be my guest? And he was like, yeah, message me. And I mean, he was an amazing guest all about kind of disaster by choice, um, which has like, since informed like a scheme of work that I've also taught with that year eight. Um, and yeah, I definitely feel that don't feel afraid. And also normally if people aren't interested. They just don't reply. So you don't get anything kind of back. but you just the amount of people who have responded. um, yeah you have just got me thinking about all different ones as well i had a climate <laughs> activist from from new delhi actually and
1: the air pollution one
0: yeah and he's like 20 uh like second year of uni 20 years old and has like so much inf- and it, it talks so incredibly well for a university student well yeah i think all the guests in their individual ways are just brilliant
1: no, it's fantastic. Coronavirus has been a catalyst for things like um, there's a there's a web, there's a um, an organisation that we work with uh, the um, the project I work for my day job called Speakers for Schools, which I th- I think if I'm remembering rightly is a free is free for schools. Um, where you you sign up to their database and they can get all kinds of people come and speak to your ch- your children i think Hugh Dennis the actor and writer is on there for example um and some people who you would think were celebrity who but it's to me people are willing to chat if you're willing to ask them and just as you would normally just be polite say do you have a spare time the worst that can happen is say no i don't have any spare i'm quite busy at the moment but i can point you maybe to someone who who would be willing to and yeah and we're going to be blended learning from now on aren't we blended approaches Mm -hmm. so we should be be if we can beam in people into our classrooms more often now we could do it show you know showing your interviews but yeah so elliot i echo again what i said at the start of podcast you're doing a fantastic amazing job you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone and not it's not just use reaping the benefits of that but everybody who is what you know well Two thousand eight hundred people subscribing to your channel at least, you know, are benefiting from that. So once again, on behalf of the community, I say thank you for the effort that you're putting into that.
0: I see. Yeah, I think what you're saying that being connected, though, I think is so using technology to break down about like borders <laughs> is so important. And I think that's that's the reason I did the university ones because when I was at school, particularly in my last school, like, everybody always applied to London universities and part of the reason was because they didn't have parents who could like take them up to northern universities or the train ticket was really expensive and I know unis are doing so much more like online open days but that was like one of the real pushes actually how can we use this to get students to hear what it's like from a student to um, be at Edinburgh or be at Durham or be at Manchester um, without them having to before it was always that like financial barrier as well so kind of using like an open platform like youtube or like your podcast as well where just it's anyone's welcome and yeah you speak to people from around the world um Mm -hmm. as well i think that's that's what's really important for me as well
1: it is, and the, the yeah. So the day for those who don't know, the day job that I do, I work out of the University of St. for a project that tries to help students to access higher education, particularly disadvantaged students. So uh, based on funding from the Office for, for Students, one of the barriers to higher education with um, with underprivileged and under you know represented groups is not always financial. It's not always um, logistical. Sometimes it's the lack of knowledge of knowing what support is out there for them, you know, or that they don't feel you know there's no habitus there's no sense of place for them, like university is for them it's not for us kind of thing, so a lot of the work that I have been doing actually is all about breaking down these myths, myth busting, and saying actually there is support for you for you and what you can do you can break down barriers, you can do this, you can do this, you know, and I think that the thing that you did for for universities in particular was is a, a very fantastic part of that and uh and yeah i think actually i'm i will be uh seeing if i can use that in my day job because um it's it's a lovely little lovely little thing which i think can inspire people thanks <laughs> thanks um that you were talking about the things getting smaller you know globalization technology things like that um i'm a bit of a science Tech geek and like, I love reading up about things like theory of relativity and black holes and stuff like that. So one one of your videos that caught my eye was was one where you sort of like time space compression, and I was like, "Why? What, what's this? Are you going to go into physics or something like this?" But actually, what you were talking about, and uh, for the list, for listeners, um, I'll just play a little clip.
0: Time space compression describes the relationship between time and space. It is the idea that through technology. Places, usually distantly far from each other, seem closer together. Today, if I in the UK want to call my friend Ash in Australia, all I have to do is FaceTime her and I can see her instantly. If it was a hundred years ago, I wouldn't have been able to pick up the phone, and the only way of getting a quick message would be Morse code. But what happens if I wanted to speak to her face to face? I couldn't get on a plane. I would have to get a steamship taking 40 days. Which actually I probably would have been pleased with. Because in 1850, 60 years earlier, it'd have probably taken four months in a traditional sailing ship.
1: So um I'll put the link to that video um in the description for you to go direct to it, but obviously you can access it through Ellie's YouTube channel as well. Um and yeah, it's the way that you did that, like holding the globe up and talking about how how we seem to be going through this, um, this constrict, constriction of time and space because of the technology. Well, we're demonstrating that right now, aren't we? So, um, yeah, t- talk to me a little bit more about that. Um,
0: I think, well, I think I made a video on it because students, we do it at the very start of globalization and it's something that always just like captures their attention and they just, they just love, (laughs) they love it. They love the idea of that time or thinking about the idea that time and space are shrinking. So as the world becomes more globalized, um, the, yeah, I can say on the video that it normally would have taken weeks for a letter to get over or months even to get over from the UK to Australia, whereas you can call instantly on your mobile phone on FaceTime um, and speak to your friends so that the space feels smaller um, because things take like, take less time to be connected. Um, so I think that was a kind of trial on, as I was like trying out different YouTube things, it was kind of called the one, things, trying to introduce things in a minute, um, which actually I think I might, yeah, I think as a kind of with anything, it's kind of learning kind of what is working and um, they actually have had loads of people watch them, but it's so funny, the kids who they comment on underneath, some of them are like, I've been directed here by my teacher <laughs> and then some people are actual scientists who have like picked apart the whole video as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I just think the, it's just, yeah, I've made a video on it because like kids just at the beginning when they kind of learn kind of ideas about globalization, different flows, love the idea that you can kind of see this um, times brace compression or like the small shrinking world or small uh, yeah shrinking world effect um, by David Harvey. I think that's correct. Um, and yeah, I mean, what, what did you think about it then kids?
1: Uh, well, what I loved about it, it was, um, first of all, the fact that you're, you're doing these, you doing a series, of these little mini clips, which is fantastic. Cause we know that we're pressed for time and, and, I mean, I don't know whether this is a UK teacher phenomenon or whether, whether other teachers listen to this. I'm, I'm I'm very ambitious. Other teachers around the world, oh my goodness, <laughs> um, have this same sort of thing. But we're so pressed to get through content and so pressed to do it in a way which is engaging for the kids that I think more and more we get, we're liking these kind of one-minute, two-minute, three-minute clips that can be shown as either, a, you know, at the start of the lesson or to summarize at the end of it and then to analyze it. And the thing that I like about short videos as well is that it gives you the time to say, listen to the first part, you know, pause it, and then get the kids to say, right, so Ellie's talking about time and space compression in this holding the globe. What do you think we're gonna be she's gonna be talking about? What have we been learning at the moment? Okay, let's see what she says next. And so short very, very short clips like that give the power to kind of integrate it into your lesson plan so i like that and the other thing for me is it brought back a really really fond memory of when i used to teach globalization i used to um i had these i helped uh, the the geography extracurricular club which we used to call the joggers to cut out giant bits of foam in the shape of the continents and then what i would do i'd clear all my tables away uh from my classroom i was lucky enough that i could kind of do that and then and fortunately, and my carpet was blue, which was great because it was like the ocean. And then the kids would put the constants down on the floor and then I would dish them out cards based on a story. And I can't remember the life of me for what the story is called. I'll look it up. I'll put the description in the link. But it was, it was I think it was in the 1912s, 1910s or 1920s, this story was written about this person in America getting up, having their breakfast Eating their, you know, putting on their clothes, reading, reading the trouble, reading the news of the fo- of foreign troubles, you know, and things like that. And it mentions all these places that this person's connected with. And it ends with people will know what it is when I say it, you know. And if he's a good, yeah, if he is a good citizen, he will thank a Hebrew deity in an Indo European language that he is 100% American or something like that. So it's a really, really good story. And then as we're reading that story out, the kids who are located in the location that gets mentioned. We pass a ball of string to them, and then they hold on to the string. It goes to the next person, next person, next person, and all, and then the fun bit is that's interesting. But the fun bit is I say, right, you've got to untangle yourself out, letting go of the string. You know, a little bit of kind of team build and exercise at the very end. But yeah, and that gave me very fond memories of that. And I think that if your video existed back then when I was doing that, I would have, I would love to have kind of like bookended maybe that activity with your video. So that's an example of how it can supplement because you've got different ways of learning so you've got the globe and how you'll demonstrate with that and you've got me with the string so
0: yeah i love that string idea yeah we gonna get kids at the beginning of a level to like map how they are connected to the world whether it's like their clothes or a family or um having like companies over there or something but actually like standing on a Uh, that's a really cool idea i'll be i'll be borrowing that one (laughs)
1: yeah i'll I'll see if i'll see if i can find my old bits and bobs for it and i'll send it your way um because i've got somewhere in my archive right this is amazing so now ellie we're gonna um i'm gonna get you to um spill the beans now right (laughs) spill the beans is when we you talk about something that maybe people don't necessarily know about you because they're like Yeah, the curious geographer, Ellie Hopkins, yeah, teacher. But what they may not know about you is that you love a good spy novel, Ellie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I do. So I've actually – I have sometimes on my YouTube channel videos of books and book reviews, so I think there's definitely like a blend of – Spy novels, geography <laughs> books, obviously, and probably some like feminist books <laughs> in there as well. Um, you can actually probably see them if you pause the video, like all Ooh. behind. Um, but yeah, I I think it's because... So it's spy novels. So I love... Um, it's. I think the spy novel that really kind of started it off was called The Spy and the Traitor by Ben McIntyre. I don't know if you've read that. Um, but it is a great read. And I think it's because, um, and since I've read all his books... Um, because I just never thought that I was, I always thought I was a geographer and not interested in kind of history and things like that. And I actually, I mean, now I read loads, but I definitely struggled when I was younger. And I just, I don't know if it was a language thing. I was quite Um, dyslexic at school as well i don't know if i just couldn't like access books um and actually it's one thing i've massively learned from my partner because he reads a lot and so it definitely has been i think the last kind of like five six years um and i think one thing at school though i try and help get the kids involved in reading is because it if you find something that you're interested in um, it's sometimes that book is just that hinge and then you can, then you're fine. Um, and I think it's because it's the blend of what well, his books are based on like real people and real stories. So they're kind of like a blend of nonfiction and fiction. So they're based on real people, but they sound like they are, um, like a, a story or fiction. Um, and I think what I was so interested in is that, particularly when teaching kind of geopolitics, is that, that it's all kind of shown within the tensions of like it might be the like Cold War at the time. Um, there's an amazing one called like Agent Sonia, who was like the first Russian um spy, um, and she was based over in England and basically was a housewife um and used to go out to the back of her garden and had like a um all the like all the like a spy equipment to like send it over like to to russia to basically like um i don't know what the time was but um all the like nuclear weapons like she was like transferring all the information over there but like no one no one thought she had anything to do with it because yeah she was just like a a wife in like an english countryside town kind of thing um and so i think but I just find that I think Ben McIntyre is a really, really good author as well. I'm actually, I think I have made a video of me saying that geography students still should read it as well. But I, think it's, I think it's on the back. I'm not sure if it's had music added to it to put me back on YouTube. So hopefully, by the time this is out or later, um, people will be able to see me summarize it. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the kind of idea that geography and history aren't different subjects and that they are much more interconnected than we think. And I don't think when I was younger, I maybe had that idea of the kind of synoptic links between subjects but I felt that it just was adding to just like my understanding of the world but also I think the spy world is just an incredible world you're like how are these people Mm -hmm. operating like this or they put like their work before like their families as well like they're so um so into what they do
1: yeah and you've got the classic popular culture spy things like James Bond and things like that but I think it's a lot more nuanced, that kind of stuff. And like history and geography must play into kind of like what they need to do as spies, like more often than not. And I, I can, have you ever, so you say you've used, you, you recommend some to read books or two to your students. Have you actually like ever taken a passage out of I mean, it could be a spy novel, could be something else. Have you taken a passage out of a book and actually used it as maybe a, a curriculum artifact or something or a piece of stimulus?
0: Um, I don't know if I have for... Geography for like from a spy novel. I definitely think you could I don't actually now teach edXL superpowers, but I definitely feel that within the time because um because I love artifacts like that. My my dad was actually in the army and my parents were out in Germany. I was actually born over there, and there's a picture of my mum with a pram with my older brother outside the Berlin Wall. Oh. And the students just love kind of seeing that um. Yeah, I they would love seeing that image um of yeah, just understanding the difference to like the East and West um of Europe. And I definitely feel like his novels could be used if you if you teach Edexcel <laughs> um <laughs> geopolitics superpowers. Um whereas that's not as much in like the AQA um spec. But I definitely use other um other books and other readings like informed teaching, like uh, Dr. Elan Kelman's book, disaster by choice. I mentioned course, before. Yeah. Um, I also think that um, if you're teaching um, about the apartheid, that born a crime um, is a fantastic book um, by, I can't remember the, he's like an author, but also a comedian, um, but born a crime is fantastic. And I've used that um, before because it also has like the historical context of the apartheid and like his view as well. And um uh presence of geography I think yeah. like most geography teachers but I think having that literature um beyond just using textbooks is really important and also encourages students if you're like this is what I read then students are often like borrowing books like from me or we try like build up the geography library as well so they can take them um to read at home
1: yeah absolutely um yeah and also get them to to use their learning to go through critical appraisal and critical thinking to say, so like for example, you, you know, Prisoner's Geography is a fantastic book. It's also received quite a lot of, of um of of critical appraisal as well. And rightly so. And I think, you know, and Tim Tim Marshall is someone who will welcome welcomes that. And then we'll we'll use it to spell on, which is great. And that's how it should be. And the I, I tried to start it from year seven, that kind of stuff. So one book that I've used Um, when teaching glaciers to year seven was uh, cold by bill Shriver. um there was a lovely passage in it where he talks about the way that glaciers move and how they how they change the landscape how they kind of you know um have an influence on the culture as well and so all i did was i just photocopied that one page and we just read it through together as a as a class and 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 you know the, the the book itself is is you know is of course you're going to get some 11, 12 year olds who will be able to read that kind of stuff because they're avid readers and they can grasp that kind of stuff. But the vast, you know, the average um, 11, 12 year old might not be able to grasp the kind of many of the concepts in that book, but it doesn't stop us from taking a passage, a paragraph, a page and say, right, what does the author mean by this? What are they talking about? You know, you listen to the words they're describing, you know, you've heard about retreat and advance and, you know, ablation and stuff like that. But how is this author describing it? And then it actually can make it more accessible to students who find maybe geographical terminology difficult to have in that kind of prose
0: i love that in terms of like physical geography as well because normally it is that more kind of human side that you have stories from so Ghosts of the tsunami is an amazing book um to hear about the impact of the tsunami in japan um from like real people and the idea that yeah it's not just an event that you see on the news um but the fact that it has impacted communities for like 20 like 10 like years and it just they're still mourning their children that were lost in the school and i think that that it, it's great to yeah have something on glaciers or have something on coasts which students might not it might not be obvious or clear-cut if there's like different stories about it so kind of breaking those boundaries down
1: and i, I love the idea of reading lists for things like that but i think i think we've got to be mindful of that um just like ourselves who don't have time to read everything, you know, our students definitely when they have got other things and puberty and all that kind of stuff going on, that just just giving them a passage and say, you know, and then saying this is from this book. And if they take up the rest of the book, brilliant, amazing. And it or it could be a piece of fiction or something like that. And uh and I'm hoping to actually talk to my next my next guest about popular culture in general and how it can inform and maybe misinform you know about places around the world oh that's brilliant we could talk about that forever um right so ellie um we're going to finish off then with a little challenge for you right so we do this with the end of every single podcast episode and we call this we are all geographers so and this is to try and catch people who say i'm not a geographer and then they realize that they really are (laughs) so last time i had um the wonderful dr keston perry um who took a bit of uh he and i took a bit of a deep dive into the issues of environmental justice and colonialism etc and he was challenged to link the word art to geography by the guest before in his response to art he threaded in quite nicely uh, the word which he has given you which is justice right so and actually i think you'll be okay with this because I, there's certain elements of what we've been talking about already today where i think we can thread the word justice into into you know geography and the concept of connections around the world so are you ready ellie you've got 30 seconds to get a link between the word justice and geography you up for it
0: yeah, I don't know where to start. Um, so much. I mean, there's. I mean, in terms of scales, you have like the UK justice, as we were talking about, with like universities and making things that are like open to. Um, it's not like you deserve to be in a certain place. Open for everyone. Globalisation, justice. Um, I've done a few videos on like the environmental injustice of globalisation, like shipbreaking in Bangladesh. Um, breaking down e-waste and agriboshi. um i just think there's so much injustice in the world which we maybe don't realize um particularly when you're growing up in the consumer society yeah ah, the time has gone yeah no, brilliant <laughs> i could go on
1: <laughs> you most you most certainly can go on and i'll tell you what um i love the way that you threaded in a couple of your videos in there which is brilliant <laughs> boom yeah you got it ellie um yeah i don't really have anything to add to that um yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can do courses and and become an environmental lawyer, and you know, and work on these kind of things. That you know, that there's a need for those kind of. Things. We've got COP26 coming up later this year, and there's going to be lots of talk about justice and environmental justice and social justice. You know, with regards to climate change, and yeah, and Dr. Kirsten Perry. If you haven't listened to that everybody yet um, last week, it's such a fascinating listen. In fact, it's probably one of the few podcast episodes where we didn't get the chance to speak about Keston himself so much, although we did. We talked about, you know, he's from Trinidad and Tobago and things like that, because it was so fascinating what he was talking about with this whole, you know, issue of, of colonialism and climate change and, and social justice, environment, linking in with environmental justice. So, Ellie, that was brilliant. You did a great job there. But now you get to have your own back to the wider community now because you get to come up with a word that our next guest has to try and link to geography or link it to the grander scheme of the world.
0: I mean I feel like the most obvious one might be like a spy or (laughs) like a spy to see uh to see what they think on that. Yeah, like a you know when you like being put on the spot and I'm like looking looking around (laughs) my room just to see if I get inspired. It's a green wall behind me. There's nothing
1: there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's go with spy. Let's go with spy. Um, yeah, so my next guest is a really, really intriguing guest, and it's going to be really interesting to see what they, they come up with. It. They're, they're uh, a, little, a, little bit, a little bit of uh, a teaser for everybody, but they are um, a quite well-known actor um, who may not have played a spy or in a movie that had spies in them. Right, so Ellie, do you have any shout-outs you would like to give uh, anyone in, out there in the community?
0: I feel like the whole geography community needs a bit of a shout out. Aww. I feel like everybody um, who has like supported the YouTube channel, just everyone who's there with their creativity. There's so many kind of teachers doing like amazing different things. Um, yeah, I mean, I obviously it's great being like connected. I do, I do quite like the GA conference when you get to see people yeah. in person as well. Um, yeah, just I mean, a shout out for everybody just doing really, really hard work, yeah. but.
1: Yeah. And and for everybody not aware, the GA, this, the Geographical Association, it's a, a, an organization, a charity here in the United Kingdom, which groups together ed, uh, geography educators at all levels. And we usually get together, don't we, every April in person. It's been online the last two years, but hopefully 2022, we'll see each other in person again. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, no, that's a great shout out. And, you know, people, it's so difficult. You can't really choose one person really sometimes, can you? So... Um, Right, social media. So, how can we find you on social media, websites, your YouTube channel? Time for you to give that all a plug.
0: Um, okay, so the YouTube channel is called The Curious Geographer. The Twitter is cu- called The Curious Geographer, <laughs> I think. The Instagram is called The Curious Geographer or at Curious Jog. Um, social media, I just, I'm um, a bit of a hermit. I'm really bad at social media. <laughs> um, but that is one thing that I've been aiming to improve. Um, but yeah, I think. It's pretty easy. Search in Curious Geographer, I think, even on like Google will just yes. kind of bring you there. But yeah, share it. Like the more people that see it as with this podcast as well, subscribe, share. Um, the more people that watch it, the more other people that get recommended it as well. Yeah. And that's like so beneficial. It's just great to know that people are responding to it and also hearing if there's anything that you want, if there's any person that you think should be Live interviewed or in university um, that um, hasn't been a guest yet, um, just message me on Twitter. That I'd love to hear from people as well.
1: Fantastic! Please, please do that, everybody. You know, it, as we said a bit earlier, if you don't ask, you know, you might not get. So just put yourself out there. Worst thing that happened is just like a bit schedule is a bit busy. Let's have a rain check, right? So don't worry about it. Ask. We're very friendly, honestly. We we like people getting in contact with us. <laughs> um, Ellie finally so lovely to talk to you one-to-one um and have this sort little of chat with you it's been an absolute delight and thank you for all your support for the community as well and uh yeah perhaps um perhaps we'll have you back on again in the future and see how things are progressing when you're up to maybe ten thousand, twenty thousand subscribers and we can mark that as a celebration or something because you'll be well deserved thank you so much ellie thank you for my time.
0: this is amazing so well done for all your hard
1: work that's you. an incredible job as you said yourself if it wasn't for the community it wouldn't happen so <laughs> thanks ellie thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app if you fancy being a guest or have any feedback follow us on twitter at coffee and send us a dm Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.